Olympics opponents discuss the grassroots effort that derailed the Boston 2024 Olympic bid. Welcome to the latest edition of ATR Radio. I'm Aaron Bauer, and today I'm speaking with Andrew Zimbalist and Chris Dempsey about their book, No Boston Olympics, How and Why Smart Cities Are Passing on the Torch, that is now available. Zimbalist is an economics professor at Smith College in Massachusetts, whose studies have included the economic effects the Olympic Games have on a city. Dempsey, a Boston native and director of transportation for Massachusetts, was one of the co-chairs of the No Boston Olympics group. The pair sat down with Around the Rings to discuss their new book and reflect on the movement's success. My first question for both of you is, why, after this successful campaign, did you choose to write a book on the experience of No Boston So, Aaron, it's actually an interesting story for your Olympic listeners and followers, which is that Andy and I were in a hotel bar in Hamburg, Germany, in October of 2015. We had both been invited to Hamburg, Andy by a university over there, and me by uh, some of the opponents in Hamburg. And we're sitting there um, and discussing what happened in Boston and the similarities with Hamburg, and we sort of realized that there would be a uh, a bigger audience beyond Boston for the story of what happened in Boston, that people were curious about why Bostonians said no and what it meant for the Olympic movement. So it was really in Hamburg, Germany, of all places, that Andy and I decided to to put pen to paper. Now, I guess for both of you, was this process of writing the book, you know, is, is there a way to describe it? Was it cathartic, a different kind of emotion that overcame both of you, you know, seeing the finished product now? Sure, I think it's probably pretty different for me versus Andy. You know, yeah. for Andy, he's got a small library worth of books, and he's been doing this for 40 years. Um, and so this is just a, an, another one to uh, roll off the off the uh, assembly line, I guess. Uh, but for me, as someone who never thought I was going to get involved with the Olympics in any way, um, but then got involved in the effort in Boston, um, and then had a chance to sort of tell that story and uh, and be involved in my first book, uh, it's obviously very exciting. My mom said she'd buy a copy, so I know we'll sell at least one, but I hope uh, others out there in the world will also be interested. Now, yeah, I, w- I would only say that uh, I have been studying the economics of the Olympics for roughly 15 years, and that I've never really been involved in an Olympic movement before. Uh, I've in, The work I've done in the past sometimes has, has been for a client who is involved with one aspect of, of an Olympic bid or not, but this was a movement that involved large numbers of people in Boston and involved Bostonian politics and involved ideals of of democracy and public participation and different visions of of what city planning could be. And so for me, the process was was exhilarating. One one of the the maladies, I think, of, of being an academic is that we spend a lot of time by ourselves sitting at a desk in front of a computer and, and, and typing and writing articles or books. Uh, so having an opportunity to, to do something that was much more social and uh, much more impactful was very meaningful for me. Now, we're nearing the two-year anniversary of Mayor Walsh's infamous press conference where he goes <laughs> out and says, you know, I won't be signing the host city contract, which essentially derails the bid completely. It wasn't dead for a few more hours until a, a USOC conference call, as you guys remember. You know, what are your memories of the entire experience now at this point, seeing the impact that No Boston Olympics has had and on both the process domestically and abroad? 
I, I would start by, by saying, although I think you more or less accurately characterized what Mayor Walsh said, it, it, that's, that, that day and that event, I think, is, is misunderstood. As, as I understood what he said, it was close to what you said, but it was a little different because he wasn't saying I'm not going to sign a guarantee. What he was saying that, that today, the way the cards are stacked, I can't sign the guarantee. Of course, he had previously said he would sign it when he signed the joinder agreement uh, with, without any political backing. Uh, that is to say, neither the city council nor the state legislature had talked about or voted uh, in favor of doing that. But so I think that, that Walsh, even at that last moment, was was waffling a little bit and trying to protect himself politically, because frankly, um, I think people were telling him and people were realizing that the writing was on the wall, that we'd already gotten a lot of signals indirectly from the USOC that, that they were fed up with Boston and that they were, they were going to be leaning towards Los Angeles. And I guess, Chris, you know, looking back on it almost two years, you know, how do you feel having started this thing seen it to its completion, and then seen its impact worldwide almost. Well, you know, a lot of really good ideas have started in Boston, and Boston has a proud history of um, kind of scrappy outsiders standing up for what they believe in and what they think is best for their city, um, and, you know, not being afraid that there are some powerful folks on the other side. So I think what No Boston Olympics did and what all of our allied groups did was really in that tradition of uh, Bostonians you know, making sure that their that their communities and their priorities were put first. Um, so, you know, far from being a city of naysayers or skeptics, I think we're a city that really likes to debate the pros and cons of issues and wants to make sure that um, we're getting a good deal when it comes to our city's future. We've got an incredibly bright future in Boston. We are a city that has a lot to offer, and a lot of that was going to be put at risk by an Olympic bid that had huge, huge risks, and by an International Olympic Committee that was requiring really some outrageous demands, uh, whether it's the taxpayer guarantee or the construction of a multi-billion dollar Olympic venue. Those were just uh, not priorities for Bostonians, and uh, I think folks in Boston are pretty pretty glad, not only that we said no, but also that we've been able to have an impact on other cities around the world. And one of the things that I think is important as as we talk about Boston in, in the larger context, one of the things that's important for non-Bostonians to realize is that Boston is a very geographically compact city. It's very, very densely settled, populated. Um, and if 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 Boston were going to host the Olympics with with the 35 venues and the Olympic Village and the media center and the ceremonial green space and the transportation uh, routes that would have to be created, you're, you're talking about uh, involving somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,000 acres of land. And it, it's a very difficult thing for any city to do. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing for Boston to do. And, and I think if you, you, you pause and if we had the time to talk about some specifics of some specific aspects of the, of the Boston plan, or actually two plans, but either one, you, you would see that the, the building was going to be enormously difficult and because of that also enormously expensive. Has anyone from the IOC or the greater Olympic movement reached out to either one of you since the demise of the Boston bid to get more perspective? Because the IOC has started to shift its tone talking about how the Olympic Games needs fixing and have also really harped on political decisions by other bids that were similar to the ones taken through the efforts of no Boston Olympics. I, I, 
I don't think that the IOC has contacted either one of us. We've both been contacted by cities that were contemplating bidding. Uh, I was I, I, I talked to the Toronto City Council that was thinking of entering the, the race for 2024. We were both independently invited to Hamburg to uh, to talk about Olympic prospects and, and Olympic planning. Um, I've, I've talked to people who are involved in uh, opposition movements in other cities uh, since then, but I have not gotten a phone call from, from the IOC or the USOC to, to help them think about what, what a useful and productive reform reform movement might look like. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's really unfortunate because uh, I would be very open to talking to the IOC or the USOC and sharing my thoughts on why the bid didn't make sense for Boston, but also why increasingly it doesn't seem to make sense for other cities. Um, my, my fear is that the IOC is instead going to kind of stick its head in the sand or, you know, blame sort of outside parties or other uh, other dynamics um, rather than taking some accountability for itself. You know, it's troubling when you hear Thomas Bach saying, well, this is just about, you know, outsider movements that don't trust governments anymore. Um, we had people on our, you know, in our coalition, No Boston Olympics, that had worked in government. I worked in government for three years at Ma- in Massachusetts. So I'm a big believer in, in government and its ability to, to do well uh, and to succeed, but it's all about picking the right ideas and signing a host contract that puts all of these responsibilities and requirements on a host city is really inconsistent with that. So hopefully the IOC will reach out. Uh, I will say that I've emailed at least one member of the IOC very politely and offered to chat with her and um, and to share some of my thoughts, and she's never replied. So my sense is that um, rather than engagement, the IOC is going to choose to stick its head in the sand. The impetus for that question, to explain myself, was in the decision of uh, Budapest when they withdrew in a similar manner after citizen opposition built up, um, some of the statements that came out really said that this was a political decision. Well, of course it was. We have citizens who are reaching out and impacting their politicians, which is what democracy is. And for you guys, seeing that play out two separate times in just this one race with Hamburg and and Budapest, how did that make you guys feel? Look, I I don't... I don't gloat when when cities decide to tell the IOC that the Olympics isn't for them. Um, I what I what I do take pride in, I, I do take pleasure in, is seeing cities debate the real issues and not not have some mythical and fanciful idea of the Olympics that's propagated by a propaganda machine, a media machine, uh, carry the day. Um, so if, if if you know if people, I happen to think that uh, there are. There, there's a city in the United States that can host the Olympics, and it wouldn't have the same disastrous effects it would it would have had on Boston. Um, but the the real issues need to be known. They need to be shared with the public. The public needs to be engaged. And if if you can bring the discussion and the level of of dialogue and, and intellectual discourse to that level, then then I think fine. You know that. The, it's it's nothing that should be determined ahead of time that all Olympics are bad. Um, it should be understood. The information should be out there, and people should process it. I'll say that I was enormously impressed with the efforts in Hamburg, and then especially in Budapest, where it was really a group of uh, people in their 20s that came together. And the fact that they were able to collect more than 250,000 signatures is just such an impressive uh, feat and accomplishment, and they clearly put a scare into um, some of the more establishment 
politicians that were supporting the bid. So I agree with Andy, it's not about gloating, but there is some pride certainly in knowing that those cities have pointed to Boston and that we've been able to advise opponents in Hamburg and, and Rome and Budapest um, about what they should be talking about, what the weaknesses of, of any bid are because of that host contract. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is an example of, of uh, Boston sort of leading the way for other cities in the world, and we should always be proud of that. Now, was there any moment during this whole process from when you guys registered that domain name in a, in a colleague's apartment to seeing this through to conclusion of the book where you guys were sitting there going, I can't believe this is actually happening. Oh, my God. I was. So I, I, from, my, from my point of view, what, what I found continually surprising, um, even given how jaded I am and all the, all the experience I've had with this, I was, I was still surprised and outraged uh, each time I saw that the, the name of the city of Boston and the state of Massachusetts was being attached to an Olympic bid when none of the political bodies in Massachusetts and Boston had talked about, debated, or voted on the question. So somehow a, a group of, of executives, largely from construction and hospitality industry, decided they called themselves Boston 2024, and they uh, made their application. They made a bid to the, to the USOC. And they got Mayor Walsh to sign a joinder agreement to, and to uh, also come out publicly very forcefully in favor of the bid. But the political bodies that are supposed to be making these decisions, that are supposed to be doing the economic planning, supposed to be doing the envisioning for what the city should look like, they were completely left out of the process. And that, that was true on day one. It was also true on day 10 and day 20, all the way up to day 200, when finally the USOC finally booted Boston out of the story. I think Andy's exactly right. And I remember when the Boston bid died and what Thomas Bach from the IOC said was, well, Boston didn't live up to its promises. Their promises were made that couldn't be followed through on. And if you actually look, I mean, the number of people that had read the bid and signed the host city agreement when it was submitted to the USOC in December of 2014 was fewer than probably a dozen people in the entire city. It might have even been fewer than that. It might have been five or six people that had actually read through the entire contract and read through the entire bid. So I don't really know what Bach is talking about when he says that promises were, were made. I mean, it was those promises were never made by the people of Boston. They were made by a very, very small number of folks. And it's that secrecy and that lack of transparency that seems to be uh, endemic in the IOC process that is leading to some of these, these outcomes in these cities saying, no, Boston would have had a much better chance, the boosters in Boston would have had a much better chance if they had been open and transparent from day one, but they were being told by the U.S. Olympic Committee and the IOC to keep things quiet, to, to not share the details of the host contract, and that really ended up hurting them. Great. Two more questions for you guys. How do you both feel watching the LA 2024 bid continue in this process, you know, less than six months from the, the final vote in this 2024 race? So I think that Los Angeles, because they basically have all of the venues that they need, and they even have some leftover venues because they're, they're constantly building new stadiums in, in greater Los Angeles, uh, and because they have the road infrastructure and they have plans in place already to expand their metro and to modernize the, the airport, LAX, that the the amount of financial risk that they would undergo by hosting the Olympics would be relatively minor. Uh, there is there's still going to be a risk. There's still going to be possibilities of earthquakes, 
possibilities of other things going wrong. Um, but it's a relatively minor thing, and it's largely manageable. Um, in the process of of their bidding, and I have talked to the mayor, and I've talked to the mayor's staff, and I've talked to Casey Wasserman about it, um, I've been very disappointed in, in steps that they've taken. And one of the steps they took is they hired a... Um, a consulting firm to do an economic impact study. And the economic impact study is like every other economic impact study that's been done for uh, mega events. And they, 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 you know, they're paid by the, the sponsors of the event or the promoters of the event. And they, they come out with conclusions that, that burnish the, the, the sponsor's intentions. Uh, they, they say that this would be the cat's meow. This would be the, the greatest thing that ever happened to Los Angeles' economy if they, they hosted the Olympics. Uh, they use a false methodology. They make unrealistic assumptions, and they completely ignore the scholarly literature on the subject. So I was, I'm disappointed that, that Los Angeles has to resort to these traditional deceptive methods, uh, particularly since they have, at this point anyway, a very large majority of support for, for their effort. It's also important to note, I think, that... Um, uh, particularly with the results last Sunday in, in the, f- the first round of the French election and Marine Le Pen not doing very well, um, and the likelihood is that Macron will be the new president, I, I think that uh, people around the world uh, are not going to be voting for the United States. There, there's a lot of antipathy right now towards Donald Trump, uh, and I think there'll be more when the vote comes comes around in, in mid-September uh, of, of this year. Uh, Paris has going for it the fact that they last hosted the Olympics in 1924, so it's a centenary uh, of, of, of that event. Uh, Paris has going for it that uh, France, France as a country, hasn't hosted the Summer Olympics since since that date. France, France and Paris has going for it that there's a lot of sympathy right now for Parisians because of the various terrorist acts that have happened around the world. So I, I, I think that the, the greatest likelihood is, is that Paris will get the bid for 2024, and, and the IOC doesn't want to waste an opportunity to um, have a solid host, uh, and, and so they'll, give, they'll, give, they'll, they'll make a double award. They'll give the 19, 2028 Olympics to Los Angeles. The IOC can't afford to have another Rio happen in the summertime. They can't afford to have another Sochi or Beijing uh, happen again. And so you have in, in, in Paris and, and in Los Angeles, you have two robust, strong bids that have been well-planned. Uh, Paris is going to involve more, more financial risk, but it has these other things going for it. So I, I think that that's, that that's the likely outcome here. What do you want to say to people who pick up this book and read it? What do you hope that they get out of it? Well, I think that uh, what the book is, is it's really a case study. It, it tells the story of what happened in Boston. And um, then it puts Boston in the context of all these other cities that are saying no. So if you're looking to understand the IOC's troubles with attracting host cities and you're looking to understand why more and more cities are, are dropping out, I think that this book really provides uh, a, a, some, some insight and some window into that, into why uh, communities and citizens are really rejecting the games. And I, I think that will be an ongoing trend. Um, and so if you're in the world of sport and you're involved in promoting these games or putting these games on in any way, and you want to understand how to, how to have that institution survive and that, um, that process go on, you need to understand why people are saying no. And I think this is the book that does that. 
That was Andrew Zimbalist and Chris Dempsey describing the efforts and consequences of opposing the Boston 2024 Olympic bid. To learn more, get a copy of No Boston Olympics, How and Why Smart Cities Are Passing on the Torch, available now. I'm Around the Rings reporter Aaron Bauer. Thank you for joining us on the latest edition of ATR Radio, the golden standard of Olympic news for 25 years. Have a great day.